0: Good evening. Uh, It is now 8.31 in Sydney and Melbourne and 6.31 over in Perth. My name is Tom Radlick. Thank you for joining me for this particular live stream. My guest this evening is Tom Tanuki, who will be with us in one moment. But uh, I understand people are in lockdown and I look forward to uh, having your presence and um, uh, you joining us for a half hour to be able to have a bit of a chat, switch off Netflix, switch off the news and just contemplate some other themes that Tom and I will touch on. Uh, But, yeah, I hope you're doing well tonight and uh, just take it easy. There are things about the way in which media covers uh, issues that are really, really interesting. And one uh, one of the ways in which we we tend to communicate is using... you know, satire, using ridicule, uh, sending things up. It doesn't always have uh, the I- impact over the long term that it might, but t- which tonight's guest will touch on. Tom Tanuki is a commentator. He's an author. He's also a bit of an activist when it comes to human rights and, uh, uh, and of course, sitting on the, on the left side of politics. And Tom will take us through some of the things that he's done with a particular little escapade called the Million Flags Patriots, and we'll talk through some of the issues that matter as they arise from media coverage and the way in which people need to be digitally savvy, media savvy in an online era. Tom, thank you so much for joining me.
1: No worries, Tom. Thanks thanks very much for having us. Um, and, and um, yeah, sorry to anyone out there listening or tuning in who's in lockdown. It's miserable. I'm sorry. Hopefully our conversation can lighten the mood for a while. promise we'll talk about coronavirus as little as possible. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. And this is, by, this is my cat, by the way. If anyone's tuned in and they watch my videos, they'll know him, uh, Chippy. And uh, Tom, uh, when you
0: sort of created this uh, creature called Million Flag Patriots, what was the initial, before we get into analyzing media and everything else, Hmm. what was it and what was the initial
1: objective of it? Sure. So um, we're going back to... May, June 2016, here. In fact, the five year anniversary of the now long defunct Million Flag Patriots just passed at the beginning of last month. So I had come to realize after some time of, of sort of uh, passively watching movements like Reclaim Australia and then the United Patriots Front, you know, the Patriot movement at that time, I'd come to realize that they weren't buddy going anywhere. And um I was doing a lot of character acting at the moment, at that time rather, and, and just doing videos off my own back, creative stuff. And in that context, I, well, look, I just started getting pretty obsessed with the, the looking at far-right videos. And, you know, I, on one hand, I realised it was concerning, um, obviously, and that they weren't going to be going anywhere. But at the same time, looking at the videos of these various figureheads, I started becoming pretty transfixed by how deeply f- ridiculous these people were, you know, and and the, the the amount of conflict that they were constantly having with each other and the amount of infighting and aggression. And I guess I just became obsessed with the characters and then thought, um, and the various figureheads who were all vying for attention as part of the poetry movement. And I thought... I'm going to join in with my own fake patriot movement character. And I wasn't the first person to do that. There was true Australian patriots. Um, Greg Larson and a couple of other comedians had already done something to that effect. But um, in June 2016, I began the Million Flag Patriots, which was me acting as the, the head of a fake patriot group. Now, look, at the outset, I was taking the mick out of them by doing videos of them, but um, I I guess it it started developing and it started becoming a kind of a group, like a real fake patriot group. And I guess the idea became to not just to satirise, but to go out and to do all of the things that the real patriot groups were doing, but do it to take the mick out of them and to undermine them. And so we would go to rallies, you know, and that would provoke actual patriot groups. It was quite a dangerous thing to do, you know. We would provoke them, and we would show up where they were showing up to mock them. Um, we would do various stunts at rallies and the like, and okay. um, and generally we became a real thorn in their side. It was a great year. It was a pretty. There was lots of death threats, and there was a lot of danger in that year. Um, you know, I, I probably wouldn't do that year over again. It aged me somewhat, I think, but it was a, it was a big year. And I, I think we, we did a bit of damage to them, and I think we'll get on to uh, one of the the, the the bigger moments in which we, we we did them some damage. I think the... the can we sort of
0: focus on the actual... Media side of it because once mm. you you know anyone that saw photographs of you in that period, it was all flags and the entire insignia and whatever have yep. you. But what did you learn about the media uh, at that point in time?
1: Well, just to, to clarify for anyone who who doesn't know about this, the stunt or the stunts in question, um. At about nine months in, so this is around March 2017, um, I've already said that we had already begun the process of going out to rallies to where they were. You know, We, we were quite well known by this stage. When I say we, mm-hmm. I mean me, but also the various people who would dress up in fake patriot attire and, you know, uh, uh, other lefties who'd come out with me to, to have a bit of fun and a laugh on the day and record a video. Well, So we'd already become known amongst the left for doing that. It was all, you know, we were well known for it. But there was um, some high-profile organised racists at the time, particularly Neil Erickson, Christopher Shortis and Blair Cottrell, were having uh, court hearings related to a video stunt that they'd done in Bendigo in 2015. And in that context, the court hearings that were happening were gathering quite a bit of Left-wing and far-right attention. You know, there were people who were coming out the front, chanting, protesting, and counter-protesting, yeah. and it was one of those kind of media traps that, by that yeah, stage, is, yeah. so was becoming quite frequent. So it was the
0: same kind of thing that we would uh, you'd see in the US when they're a the kind of an issue, and you'd have you know competing interests
1: out and about yeah. and media attention. Yeah. Absolutely, and you know, I think yeah, you know, 17, This became a well, uh, a very familiar sight on televisions for for even for uninvolved Australians, which is the sight of sort of you know like a far right contingent, however small, and then a big line of increasingly militarised Vic Poll, <laughs> and then uh, on the other side, you know, a, a, a batch of left wingers all chanting and carrying placards and what have you, and and this was happening outside the Magistrates mm. Court in in. In Melbourne, in that context, because we knew that there would be far right people coming along, um, we rucked up with the intent, the a, a, and with the intent of pretending to be the support contingent for the far right. There, now, just to set the scene here, we had fake face masks with this kind of, like the Australian, it's called the triple flag. In the story of the Million Flag Patriots, it was the new flag of Australia. But basically it was the Australian flag with about three times as many stars and bits of red and what have you on it. It's fucking ludicrous. You can see a little bit there in the corner. Anyway.
0: Well, how, about, how, many, how much did that cost to set up?
1: <laughs> well, actually, you know, I was dumping quite a bit of my my paychecks into this at the time i was dumping a fair bit of money to be fair there was we were raising a bit i was raising a bit of cash for this stuff expressly by selling the triple flags i went on to um uh uh Alibaba and I bought a few of these uh, flags in a design, sent over to be from a Chinese manufacturer and I sold a few online and I used that cash to pay for, you know, like things like ludicrous, like a bigger flag that we'd bring along to these rallies and a bunch of face masks and placards that I would expressly make and this kind of thing. Basically, it was paying for itself. It's a lot of effort, isn't it? It was a lot of effort, and I had a level of enthusiasm and motivation for it that in the context of all the threats and the danger, I I see that guy as being almost, he's almost completely foreign to me. I'm like, how did you do this in this, you know, with this competition and this level of threat? But nonetheless, so middle of March 2017, about five or ten of us went out. And as I say, we went out with the express intention of pretending to be the far-right people in support. And we were right next to the lefties on the day because they all knew us, as I said. And the media could see that. But we all looked like really good, you know, presentable racists. We've got these ludicrous flags and capes all over us. We looked a bit like patriots, sure, but on acid. Or on steroids, you know, turned up to eleven, and so when we got on, we got home by six pm that night. I started my messages started pouring in on my phone. People are going, "Fuck, look, we're on every station," <laughs> and we were. Every single station broadcast us as being the far right contingent out there in support of Blair control. In fact, Channel Seven even broadcast me a. St- a a, a snippet of me abusing Blair Cottrell whilst saying that I was there supporting Blair Cottrell. And I understand that for the media this was quite... You know, the whole thing when you're at a distance and you're reporting on these these ongoing antics, and this was a very you know, these kinds of rallies were a monthly occurrence back then. You know, this was very regular. You know? I understand that they weren't intimately involved, but again, remembering the dynamics of the day and the fact that we were standing next to the left, I, I was very surprised to see it on there. And indeed, ABC's Media Watch reached out within a week or two after that and they said, you know, we're going to cover this, we're going to talk to it, would you like to tell us a few things about what happened? And I said, yeah, because I'd spoken to other people we were with at the time and I'm like, one of the people that was in our group with us, another fake patriot, had said to the media at the time, she said, oh, no, we're with them, this is a, a, a joke thing. Not that I'm t- putting them into task for having, you know, not communicated perfectly clearly with each other, but... Um, Nevertheless, we were presented as a far right, and that was a, make no mistake, that was a huge win for me, for us, for Million Flag Patriots at that time, because, you know, the express intention there was to take the actual airtime. See, I saw it as two wins in one. We're taking the airtime away from actual far-right groups who are coming along. I mean, there was a guy, and Neil Erickson had come along on the same day dressed up as a, a, a Muslim cleric, you know, and he was going to burn a Quran out the front and what have you. Do you know, I because of what we did on that day, that never got aired on television, and I'm very, very grateful for that because it was just, you know, we were just learning their stunt capacity and we were just mimicking it but doing it a bit better than them so it did that but the other thing it did was that it it showed up so i thought at the time it showed up the fact that the media don't uh, pay any attention they love the footage of the very presentable looking racist they don't necessarily want to ask questions about what it means. So, you know, or who this group is or who that group is. Yeah. They're just, you know, same-day reporters. They just want to show the most ludicrous patriots. And it has so happened that it was us. It's just that we weren't real ones.
0: Okay. Well, if we... The interesting thing for me in this yeah. is a couple of, couple of fascinating elements. One is... What you did then had become had become stock footage. Um, how do you be? How do you feel that that's now some of that stuff repeats itself, comes back?
1: Hmm. Yeah. So so as as you've said, you know, <laughs> I came to the realization, and this is somewhat recently, that at some point I've passed into the realm of of being almost default stock stock footage for the mainstream media channels still used to this date. We're not talking about back in 2017. We're talking 2021 still being used as footage. We denote Australian far-right extremists. You know, whenever there's something talking about extremism NSN, you know, National Socialist Network, or what have you. There's, uh, there's often at least a couple of seconds in which the million flag patriots is is placed in to to the footage. And here's the thing: there's a very big difference for me. Once upon a time, I used to think it was funny and telling, and I think it would show the media up. And I took great delight in going online to say, "Look at these, you know, look at these idiots." Look what they've done. But there came a real point for me after which I wasn't laughing anymore and it was after the Christchurch massacre because after that point you would think to yourself, given that Australia had given to the world its greatest mass murderer in the form of a far-right extremist, you would think to yourself that our media would begin to take a little bit more care so when they weren't doing that, and and when they still got to do it to this day, I laugh, but I also get pretty damn angry, you know, because they should know better. Um, now that's the footage from that, that
0: those times mm. is a metaphor for something. But yeah, and you're right, you are probably a bit angry about the the fact that. It keeps coming back. It re- redirects itself. Mm. But there, there, there's another thing that's interesting about this discourse um, when we talk about the Australian flag and other things, and that is different people use the flag for different purposes. You know, it's seen as it a uniting thing for the broader community, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of social cohesion. And with others, other people, they define it as uh, something that excludes others. I mean, that's it, true. does that get... Is that something that grates with you as well?
1: I mean, I I think at the time, you know, Million Flag Patriots had a real, uh, that era for me was a very flag-centric period of time in which I pondered the significance and the meaning of flags to a great deal. I mean, if anyone followed it quite closely at the time, they, they would... Um, probably say so that I invested, if, you know, maybe if they, if, particularly if you were talking to me or understood where, where it was coming from. I think creatively I invested a lot of energy in thinking about the 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 power behind this latent symbol uh, that you can, and in our case, it was this new version, this new revamped version of the Australian flag. We will place more stars on it because we knew that that had a, 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 we were trying to, what we were doing in a satirical sense was taking the ludicrous excess of nationalism, often displayed through symbols like flags, and turning it up to 11. So you put more stars on it. But it also, in a narrative sense, gave me the opportunity to do things that were very divisive, like, for example, we had a new flag, so therefore we could ditch the old flag, so the story went. So therefore we did a video in which we hung a lot of the old flag up on a hill's hoist and set fire to them because we were supposed to be getting rid of them in bulk. Now, that didn't make, you know, it, it probably didn't make a lot of people happy because, as you've said, you know, a lot of different people have different relationships with the flag. But our express intent was in in making nationalists get upset who we were in direct competition with. But, you know, that's me, probably me, with my, you know, my anti-nationalist politics. I, I, I don't you? Really, even-
0: you now, you now, five years on from that,
1: yeah,
0: um, and we're seeing a greater. Uh, I would like to think we're seeing a greater degree of literacy um, from people, at least in the community, about uh, what looks like what, what what is a bit of a shall we say, uh, people having a bit of a go and uh, wanting to wind things up. Um, yeah. But I'm not sure that everybody's there yet. Um, where do you see the world now, given the, uh, given your experience in terms of the internet, communications and the media more broadly, because you've got the capacity with uh, social media and other um Less public forums for hmm. people to be um, uh, looking at uh, looking at different things, looking at um, uh, prop- propaganda and shoving stuff around and making things up. You know, uh, with disinformation. Yeah. How do you yeah. think? Uh, what do you see the environment like today?
1: One of the reasons that a Million Flag Patriots ended when it did uh, in in the middle of 2017 was because, you know, I detected, um, uh, I mean, on one hand, the Patriot movement was coming to an end. It was losing its reach. It was losing its capacity to organise. But it was also being replaced by a new guard, and this is like 2017-18 onwards, which was, a, 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 I suppose, a cast of rock star Racists, you know, Lauren Southern, Stephen Molyneux, people, you know, Mila Iannopoulos, people who were, um, they weren't, yeah, yeah, they weren't necessarily media savvy uh, grassroots organizers so much as they were invariably in the media, and and we start, you know, and then we started to see the, the 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 increased organization of and and funding towards alternate far-right media bodies, you know. And we're still seeing the effects of that today because you now have very well-oiled uh, media organisations like Rebel News have their wing in Australia and Rv Yemeni gets more reach for a lot of his videos, which are invariably just, you know, provoking left people at, at rallies um, than a lot of mainstream media channels, you know, at his certainly his height. Um, so, but I, I think, you know, if you... Take those well oiled grifters aside. I think that people are very, as you said, I think people are very savvy. I think the menu is a generally a bit more savvy I think the left is it certainly you know some of the ventures that we did after million flag patriots were more rally focused and were about trying to I guess broaden the way that people would deal with alt-right provocateurs so I think that the left has generally become more savvy but I think what you've seen in 2021 as well is that you know as you said, it's five years on and and one of the big things that's happened aside from all the the, the tragic loss of life through far-right extremism has been uh, a very broad deplatforming platforming from big tech and the like of the far-right. And so you've seen with National Socialist Network, you've seen that the far-far-right, the Nazis and the like, they've become quite savvy too. I mean, to, to watch the the meteoric rise in terms of national attention anyway, if nothing else, of Tom Sewell and the National Socialist Network over just a few months, you know, for groups that know that they can't recruit unless they provoke the mass media into doing it. I mean, they were able to do it and they were able to do it very effectively. So for all that I think everyone's more savvy, I do worry that perhaps, you know, it's very easy to provoke a current affair into doing very silly things, as we learned.
0: (laughs) I think the, I recently interviewed Jeff Scoop, who's the a former uh, leader, the commander of the National Socialist Movement in the United yes. States, and Jeff basically said that media attention that um, arose out of rallies equaled recruitment. When there was little or no attention, it decreased recruitment. So, mm. it, it's, but But that's coming from people who were experienced in... Uh, doing that, and they're no longer on that side of the fence. They've um, they've taken it, They've reflected on where where they are in life. Uh, those yeah. who want to know more about Chip Scoop, by the way, uh, there's a live stream I did a couple of weeks ago. You can go and see that on my you know, YouTube uh, YouTube channel um, as well. So that's uh, that's something you might want to look at at your leisure. Yeah. Uh, Tom. Y- Digital literacy. understanding how the media how social media operates is quite critical in today's yeah. age, particularly when uh, we're dealing with uh, different influences from across the globe. It doesn't matter what we're talking about, um, whether it's you know COVID-19 um, theories, whether it's vaccination stuff, whether it's aliens from outer space, whatever it happens to be. You're having
1: that conversation online these days, yep.
0: Yeah, there's there's quite a few of them. Um, We've both gone through uh, the schooling system here um, and uh, apart from uh, some very certain types of critical thinking uh, that's done through the the coursework that I know I did, uh, yeah, at the time I went to a secondary college, there was no the presence of the internet and this broad world of communication was not there. Sure. What role do you What role do you think education plays in getting the in helping people um, inoculate themselves, for want of a better word, against yeah.
1: some of the against some of the stuff that's out there. It's a very fair question, you know. And if you talk about education, you'd like to see some of these things regarding critical thinking, you know, hopefully shaped in a, in secondary curriculum. You certainly would. But but I, I, it reminds me of something that I was I talked about last year. Um, I did a two part series on QAnon, you know, and I was doing that in the you know QAnon's impact in Australian circles. I was focusing on. Australian QAnon, if there was any such a thing, and I was doing that in the context of the 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 huge rise through the pandemic of the anti-lockdown movement, and I did say at the start, you know, because I I think some of us, myself included, can be um, lured into a false sense of kind of leftist snobbery at 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 say, particularly you know, with certain conspiracists' uh, uh, ideas of of thinking, how can (laughs) you be stupid? How could you? possibly how could you be this but in reality is is that i sort of tried to tally together the vast amount of things that i think you really need to know about a lot of a lot of which are not just to do with digital literacy, but almost require you to have been around deep on the internet for a very long time, just to be genuinely inoculated against something like QAnon. Um, and and it was a very vast list, you know, I, if I was to really quantify why I would never have been a, a QAnon person, it wasn't just my... High school education—it was a vast amount of things. It was my use of the internet from the late '90s onwards. That you know, as a very vast series of things. Um, I I often say that yes, totally education and critical thinking and digital literacy is really important. But I, I I really I always try to push this line in my writing these days: is that communities are so important. How do you eliminate? You know, harmful disinformation, and I, I, this is more pressing in the, the pandemic than ever before. Mm-hmm. It's that you do it through communities, and, and and all of us, in a broad Australian level, you know, on, on the on the scale of say Australia as a whole, we're such atomized individuals you know people are you know highly casualized workforce are, are scrambling to catch up with their personal lives they they're constantly renting so they're buffeted about from low cost suburb to low cost suburb and how and, and it's very hard for people to form lasting communities and so I, I think people end up so atomized that it's little wonder they get attracted to these 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 systems online in which people just give you this so that's
0: basically the the proxy for
1: community. It becomes the proxy for community. That's yeah. right. You know, I really, really believe that. And I, you know, and, and and fighting against that is is to me is a matter of community building. And it's why, like when when I, I try to talk about how to deal with to people, you know, say in videos that I do about how to deal with. Uh, 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 neo-Nazis, National Socialist Network, or if, you, if you see them in your suburbs, so deal with it on a very local level, like organise in your community, find local community groups, talk to people, you know, like don't think it's something that saying the overlords of ASIO and the like are just going to sweep in and deal with, you know, and it takes strong community bonds to, to eliminate these kind of, uh, I suppose, elements of extremism which come from very lonely atomized people starting to form together under these really toxic ideas.
0: Uh, it is also something else, and that is there are, there are factors that interact. Um, if, yeah. if you look at, um, for those who are interested, uh, there's a really good book um, that was written in the 1950s, 1954. It's called The Nature of Prejudice. It was written by a social yeah. psychologist called Gordon Allport
1: Yeah, I read that that myself last year when I was trying to wrap my head around anti-locking and stuff. But, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, but Allport is very, very good, Um, and I recommend that uh, to people because what they see through the lens provided by Allport is how we build the in-groups, how we create the out-groups and the consequences of that. Um, somebody said on the Twitter the other day they think something like Allport should be taught in secondary college. I absolutely agree. We'd probably all be better off.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, I think that's where uh, that's where the um, the answer really lies. Chef Scoop talks about education. Daryl Davis, yeah. the black musician, that was one of the people responsible for getting Scoop out of in um, the extremist distance he was leading,
1: um, yeah. also
0: talked about you know, education, talked about a discourse, a dialogue.
1: Yeah, 100%, you know, 100%. I mean, a lot of what I've done over time, I often get, I, actually, it's funny, I often have, because um, I have other ventures like post million Flag Patriots, I did this thing here, yelling at racist dogs, which is mostly about filming videos of of,
0: of
1: firing volleys of charming abuse at, organise racists at rallies, you know, um, and I would often have people ask me, you know, they would say, what is, why do you, do you, you know, they'd pose Daryl Davis and they'd say, well, you know, he would uh, convince racists one by one. To to leave the organised racist groups they're part of, why don't you do something like that? Well, you know, does this, you know, obviously yelling at them doesn't have that kind of effect. And I'd say, well, yeah, no, but there's very different things. I mean, this is sort of like a, a galvanising for collective for anti-racist organising. Sometimes the troops need something to laugh at, and in the context where lots of people needed to show up, so we thought on the streets to combat organised racism. That was definitely, you know. That was it was a very but different he- goal, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean there are differences, but the interesting thing with the group called Beyond Barriers in the United States uh, that was founded yep. by Jeff Group is their intention is to draw people, draw people out and talk about the uh, talk about the the, 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 the social co- social cohesion issues that emerge oh, from yeah. yeah the various various problems that are caused by different ideologies, um, yes. whether, whether it be, you know, things to do with gender, whether it be things to do with sex, uh, sexual preference, whether it be race, ethnicity, language, whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter where you go in terms of the scale of things people can try and divide society with. Uh, educating people seems to be
1: the answer. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, education aside, I not education aside, let me say it like this. Where do the most intersections generally happen? As in, like, where would you find the most vibrant communities with the most different kind of people? You'd find it in the places where those people can or feel communally bound together. As in, you know, because everyone's always different. There's trans people everywhere. There's in Australia. There's groups from from different ethnic groups, minorities, or otherwise everywhere. It's the 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 way that a community binds together is is determines how much those people get along with each other, and you know, actually see each other and connect to each other, and therefore, in turn, uh, how many people within that community might be likely to. To, to not know any of them and therefore start organising around being prejudiced against them. So I still, again, go back to, to, to the idea that it's like it's, it's, it's bound together communities, as hard as that is to do under late-stage capitalism, in my humble lefty opinion. But, you know, this is an important thing, you know, and this is a people need. We do need, you know, just social cohesion, but, you know, genuine, lasting communities, you know. And that, I think, is
0: a convenient point at which to conclude uh, our live stream together. Tom, thank you so much for sharing some of your experiences and, 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 you know, not only some of the problems but also exploring solutions.
1: No worries at all. And if anyone wants to find my stuff, my videos are on YouTube. I'm on the Facebooks and the Instagrams. Yeah, you just type in Tom Tanneke and you'll find something somewhere online, I'm sure. Okay, look, thanks thanks to those of you who've joined us.
0: I really do appreciate your time. Uh, Stay safe, look after each other. We know lockdown's kind of tough. I'll be back tomorrow night solo looking at the issue of, believe it or not, how to select a financial advisor. What are the things you need to know to choose someone who's going to look after your finances better? Join me for that. I'll take you through some tips and things to look out for.
1: In the meantime, Good night. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me, Tom. Good night. Absolute pleasure.